time for Thursday Finance. Stephen Pritchard, last one before Easter. I'm sure the Easter Bunny's going to be nice to you. Oh, the Easter Bunny's already been. I saw some Easter eggs in the office. Uh, well, they didn't bring any in here. You didn't bring any in here either. What's going on? Well, you you should have some in here for me. That'd be no, I didn't know they were there. That'd be someone's no, out no, there. No, no, someone brought. Some oh, your office. Oh, would be nice. Look, Thursday, Thursday. I'll take them. Chocolate's yeah, yeah. fine. Thursday finance, and we've got a bit of a guest coming in later on today. Or uh, on the yeah, phone. we've got Mandy Barton from Centrelink a bit later to talk about um, the new um, pension rates. Mm-hmm. So there's been an increase in pension rates, apparently, so that'll be interesting. And we've got Henry Jennings, as usual, talking about the markets. And then we're going to have some commodities updates. As well, and, and I believe Henry's going to be heading off on his Easter break, so we'll find out where he's going. He'll be going somewhere good, won't he? You would think? Oh, might be going overseas to Stockton or something. <laughs> It could be. Stephen, time to have a look, as we usually do at the start of the program, all those currency and commodity bits of information ahead of the holidays. Well, there's a bit of red ink around. Um, Don't like the ink, look of that. Here, except uh, the gold price was up uh, uh, $38.99 an ounce to uh, $1,740.06. Um, the copper price uh, the copper price was down eight, was down $100 a tonne to 8602 and the nickel price was down... Um, $411 a tonne to $16,859. Um, and the crude oil price was up 54 cents a barrel to $91.16. Uh, the Australian dollar's fallen against all the major currencies around the world. Um, we were down um, uh, half a percent against the US dollar to 76.58 US cents. Um, 54.4 one Australian dollar will buy you 54.41 pence and against the New Zealand dollar we were also down half a percent to one dollar and six and the euro we were down um, half a percent to 62.23 euro cents um, the equity markets um, you know the last week's been a bit of a sea of uh, red ink across most of the equities um, the equity market was back down below 6,000 to 5,904 which was down 138.9 points over the week uh, the S&P index was down um, 1.4% to 2,605 and the UK index was the only kind of bright spot around the world was up 1.3% to 7,044 um, some some Stocks local investors kind of like to invest in. Um, BHP was was down a dollar twenty six to twenty eight dollars forty four. Uh, CBA was down. Um, CBA was down another um, two dollars fifty six to seventy two dollars thirty one. As as more scandals erupt from the the, the Royal <laughs> the Commission, Commission, it rolls on, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, NIB NIB was down um, thirty cents to six dollars forty seven, and Telstra was down. Um, s- someone told me it's. T- now got to a six-year low this week of $3.18, down another $0.10. Cents. So nothing seems to be going right too well for Telstra. Um, the fuel price, surprisingly, the surprising, where all <laughs> our predictions appear to be wrong, and uh, as of uh, this morning from the NRMA website, it was it was down in Newcastle um, $0.01 cent on last week, so we're at $1.36.2 compared to $1.37.7 last week. And in Sydney, it was down 5% to $1.33 compared to $1.40. So Jane's predictions appear to be wrong. 
at least at the moment. Well, it's not Easter yet. Keep that no, in mind. No, that's right. I still think I'm the only person that in, that I know of that just doesn't ever look at the fuel prices. No, neither do I. I, I really when don't. When my light comes on to say the difference. <laughs> there are two kinds of people. You either sort of wait till the, you see how far you can get no, on red. I try, I try and get it to no less than a quarter, but sometimes you... It's at the other end, that quarter. <laughs> no, no, I try and get it at the quarter. Yeah. Um, so um, $1.37 for diesel and $1.35 in Sydney for diesel. Alrighty, there's a look at what is happening on the markets at the moment and someone that's going to take a little bit step further, he's, uh, he's called in and he's on his way out to holidays, Henry Jennings. Good morning. Big holiday for you coming up. Um, well, I don't know about big. We're going uh, camping and hiking down the Snowy Mountains for uh, a few days, so that'll be nice. Oh, we picked the wrong direction. <laughs> we thought you were going the other uh, way. North. Uh, so it's, no. So it's now south. So, so it's becoming popular to to go down to the Snowy Mountains and climb up Mount Kosciuszko in the non-snowy season. Yeah, I don't know. Kosciuszko, we've done it before. It's a bit of an anticlimax, but there's a nice peak called Mount Townsend, which is a far more rugged peak, about 20-odd metres just below Mount Kosciuszko, which is a much nicer walk. So we're going to head over to there, I think. Ah, so you're <laughs> taking your own tents and everything? Uh, yeah, yep, 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 yep. Yeah, I'm going to do all that. Excellent. Yeah, it's all fun. All fun. Sounds good fun. Um, so, so what's happened down at Nick Scarley, the, the the managing director sold half his shares to the Chinese supplier, and they're talking about a capital raising. And yeah, yes. it was that. It was kind of a strange one actually, because he had twenty seven percent. He sold down half his holding to uh, a Chinese mob called Jason Furniture, um, and uh, I guess it's. it's been long uh, mooted that they would be in for some sort of Asian expansion. This looks like a, a partnership that they're going to um, going to do it with. And um, he's talking about a three hundred million dollar capital raising at some stage, but not yet. You know, you kind of yeah, it's a bit, it's a bit strange that the, the head guy sells down and then talks of capital raising. But anyway, that's that's the way it is these days. But um, certainly looks interesting. The stock's very thinly traded. That's one of the problems with Nick Scarley, I'm afraid. So. Um, and this is not going to make it any more traded with um, with so much of the stock locked up between now, between Jason Furniture and uh, the MD Anthony Scarley. And um, surprising news from AMP this week that the CEO is going oh, to yeah. at the end of the year. Yeah, and, big uh, surprise that was. <laughs> and the, the China's going to China's going to drive AMP's growth. Yeah, good. I think they've played that road before, haven't they? Yeah, That's yeah, kind of like yeah. a bit of a broken record. I just remember that China was going to be the great, uh, the great hope for uh, for the AMP. And now they've obviously got some restructuring to do. The market's been trying to prod them that way for some time. Um, Craig Miller has been there some time as well, and uh, you know the market really wanted uh, a fresh face. I think to try and transform it. Um, so we've yet to see who will replace him, but um, yeah, it's going to be interesting. But yeah, certainly AMP have some some business issues, I guess, as the world changes, and they need to change with them. Is there any companies that you know of, Australian companies that are actually operating in China, that are actually making money in mainland China? Uh, Treasury Wine Estates. Yeah, but they're selling stuff. Yeah, you mean actually operating? Actually making or yeah, selling. Seven Group had the big Caterpillar franchise, West Tracks in China, but they sold that. Um, I guess there's a number of listed Chinese companies Mm. on the ASX here, but they're they're Chinese that are listed here. Um, I'm sure there are some. Um, A lot of people have made that push into China. Um, And you've got things like um, Challenger who's trying to push into Japan as well, trying to 
sort of push their annuity business out into the Japanese market to uh, to harness all that uh, huge um, huge pool of savings that the Japanese are renowned for. So, you know, I guess, I mean, there are some successes over there. And people like Treasury Wine States, Bellamy's and A2 Milk and Blackmore's, all these guys have got, um, you know, have done very well out of China. So, mm. yeah, there are some successes, let's face it. And, uh, and Maya's denied they're going to go into voluntary administration? <laughs> yeah, well, even even the fact that they've uh, denied it means that they've thought about it. So, um, you know, it's uh, it's one of those things. That I, I can't see the future for Maya being particularly bright, I have to say. Um, they are saddled with a huge amount of, uh, of uh, lease liabilities. I think it's around $2.7 billion. Um, and as a result, you know, it makes it very hard for anyone to take the company over, despite the fact that it's now... It's, it's a small cap company. I mean, gone in the days where it was a large cap company. It's dropped out of a whole bunch of indices. Uh, I think it's capitalised about 300 million bucks. They've got quite a lot of debt. They've got all these uh, lease exposures. So anyone that's hoping that Solly Lou is going to come riding over the top of the range and save them from the Indians, um, I think is um, is probably um, uh, is that's wishful thinking. I'm sure Solly can uh, wait till the inevitable happens and they, and they have some sort of uh, covenant breach with the banks and, and something horrible happens and then just pick over the assets he wants once those lease liabilities are extinguished. Yes, I think you might be right there. And Harvey Norman's Dairy Farm Adventures uh, have gone bad. Yeah, well, the market hated this. Yes. When, when Jerry Harvey first did this some years ago, um, no one, you know, we can all understand how you can um, get positive about the dairy into China story, but using uh, Harvey Norman's money to do it instead of his own was uh, an abuse, I guess, um, and shareholders were not particularly happy with it, and it has not ended well, as um, this week has shown, as that venture's gone into administration. You know, it doesn't look good on um, Jerry Harvey, really. You know, he some, sometimes can be a little bit cavalier with his attitude towards his shareholders, I think. It wasn't long ago on uh, television, I was watching him say, you know, sell your house, sell yes, your car, yes, sell yes, everything. Yes, yes. Put all your money in Harvey Norman because it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. Well, since then, I think the stock's down about 20%, so... Yes. Not, not so good. Do you think he sold his house and bought more Harvey Norman shares? <laughs> no, he's just collecting houses, isn't he? <laughs> okay. And uh, Fortescue Metals has uh, is, got a couple of issues with the with the iron ore price down twenty yeah. percent, and uh, they're going to try and upgrade their iron ore. Yeah, the, the Fortescue story. When, when, when Fortescue first was was planned as the third force in iron ore. The problem they had was that their resource is not as great a grade as the uh, BHP in Rio. Now, for a long time, that didn't seem to matter because they were only getting a 5% discount to uh, to the iron ore price that BHP in Rio got, which was fine and dandy. They drove costs down. They paid back debt. They did all the right things. Very well-managed company. Um, the problem is now that the Chinese have decided that uh, they want clean air and clean water, and they don't want such environmental um, sort of uh, soot polluting the atmosphere so they're trying to upgrade um, the, uh, the the ore that they take in um, and the coal and everything else they take into to higher le- quality levels and as a result the discount that Harvey uh, not Harvey Normal what am I saying Fortescue are receiving um, has dropped from that 5% discount they're only getting about 65% of the um, of the price that BHP and Rio get so that's kind of a big hit um, and of course um, it doesn't you know, it doesn't matter so much what the iron ore price does if that discount is entrenched and becomes structural rather than just a, a passing fad, then obviously the uh, the outlook for Fortescue is diminished somewhat. 
Yes, yes, that's right. And and surf stitch people seem to be fighting over its remains now. Yeah, I, I, we actually I was on Sky TV yesterday, and the uh, the lady who's uh, fighting for control, who's the forensic accountant that uh, Abigail, her name was, I can't remember her second name was, was talking about the uh, the deed of company arrangement and all the, the how they would be, you know the debtors and the creditors and the shareholders all be better off under their plan. I guess at the end of the day, it, it does rely on what you're going to do to to revive the business because it has been a business that has been in decline um it has suffered from competition overstocking bad management um so yeah it's, it's interesting there's lots of lawyers fighting over this one at the moment so it seems a bit like um bald men fighting over a comb lots of legal fees being generated lots of legal fees and down always at, legal fees always legal fees and down at shaver shop they're seeing their women. They're seeing women as their future. Well, yeah, Shaver Shop has been uh, somewhat uh, of a disappointment, shall we yes. say, since it uh, floated on the market. They have kind of struggled, I guess, to uh, to break through in terms of that retail space. And retail is a hard place to be, as everyone knows. You know, you can get it very right, you can get it very wrong. Um, they they have struggled. Um, now they're going to push into uh, into the female um, kind of space. I guess that's hair dryers and, and female razors and all that sort of stuff. Oh. But um, I guess that increases the, the you know, doubles your available market. I suspect. But um, you know, I'm, I'm amazed that it's taken this long to uh, to think about that strategy. It's um, you know you think you'd want to uh, to push into and diversify your um, product range as quick as you can. But uh, you know there is a lot of competition out there, not least from uh, you know other online retailers as well. So um, yeah, and so not so easy. It's not so easy. And so, uh, so if any of the listeners want to do some reading over the over the holiday, oh, can think of you. So much do? good stuff to read. So much good stuff. Um, they can uh, sign up for a trial, a free trial. It gives you a two-week free trial to uh, marcustoday.com.au and you can read all the latest that's going on in the financial market and hopefully we can give you enough uh, tips to make you some, uh, some decent uh, profits in 2018, which is becoming a bit harder with the current volatility we're seeing. Now, Mandy Barton from Settling joining us on the line at the moment and uh, things all about, Mandy, with the new pension rates that are out. Yes, exactly. We've got some new pension rates that started last week, so um, nice little rises there for our pensioners. Um, our single pension maximum rate has now increased up to $907.60 per fortnight. First time it's cracked that $900 mark. And for couples, we're up to $684.10 per fortnight each as the maximums. So did anyone's go down? Well, the only reason a, a pensioner's rate may have actually decreased as at that 20th of March indexation date is because on the same date, we revalue people's unit-based investments. So people yeah, people who hold um, assets in shares or managed funds, twice a year, we automatically revalue those unit prices. So that obviously adjusts the value of their overall investments, which then can you know alter their asset levels, their deemed income so yeah in effect there could have been a drop to some people's pensions because of the growth in their assets okay so apart from that everyone got a pay rise yeah most pensioners would have noticed a little increase to their pensions yeah so so how often uh, how often are these pensions increasing so twice a year um, the pensions are indexed so the 20th of march each year and the 20th of september are our indexation dates and, and so what are they actually indexed to? 
So there's actually three indices that are measured against to determine how much the pensions rise by and they are indexed to whichever indice gives the greatest rise. So we measure against CPI, we measure against the, the AWOTI, which is the average weekly ordinary time earnings, um, and there's a pensioner and beneficiary cost of living index as well that's been created. So the, the increases are generally based on the latter two. So it hasn't rise to CPI for a number of years because obviously that's relatively slow. Um, so it's generally the um, AWOTI or the pensioner and beneficiary cost of living index. So the pensions are actually going up faster than the CPI is what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, they are. Okay. So, so, um, and there's, there's been some changes, hasn't there, into the qualifying ages as well for the age pension? Age pension age is increasing. It has changed. Uh, anyone born after the 1st of July 1952 has to now be 65 and a half years of age to qualify for the pension. So we've just actually um, seen that come into effect recently, the 65 and a half um, bracket now. So that sort of six-month period where nobody qualified based on age, I guess, for the age pension. Um, but obviously the department still received, uh, you know, a number of age pension claims during that time because of people's change in financial circumstances. Okay, and so also in respect to that, um, there's no difference between male and female qualifying ages anymore, is there? No, there's not. Women's qualifying age was brought into line with men a number of years ago, and now um, we've got everyone's age pension increasing together. So uh, when the age pension age is increased, it's basically done uh, over a, a number of years. So what we've got at the moment is anyone born between July 52 and the end of 1953 uh, has to be 65 and a half, and then the next 18 months bracket of birth dates will be 66 and so on until anyone born after January 1957 will have to be 67 to qualify for their age pension. Right, so if you're born after 57, you can't get an age pension until you're 67. That's correct, yes. It would be nice if they slowed up on that a little bit. <laughs> I really would. Well, you're getting close well, to that. Well, well no, no, I'm not getting close, but it, by the time I'm in that sort of age bracket, I reckon they'll have it at about 97. That will be the qualifying <laughs> age, Mandy. Mm. Have you got any influence in this? Can you slow that uh, down? I'm afraid I can't, no. <laughs> so how, how's the rate of the pension? There's no changes to the rate, the way the pension's calculated or anything, is there? There's no changes to the way we calculate the rate of pension, so we still look at uh, means testing to, to, to determine how much pension someone will receive. So we're looking at an income test and an asset test, as we always have. So the, the thresholds um, for those income and asset tests, they change every year on the 1st of July, the allowable thresholds. But when we index the pension twice a year in March and September, what that does is it actually pushes those cut-off points up for pensioners as well. So the, the cut-off point to get a pension um, moves up actually three times a year. And uh, Mandy Barton from Centrelink still trekking our way through those brand new pension rates. So what are, what's the cut-offs for the income test thresholds now, Mandy? Okay, so for the income test for a single person, the new cut-off um, for a pension is $1,983.20 per fortnight. And for couples, the cut-off as at the 20th of March has moved up to $3,000 $36.90 per fortnight. So quite generous. It's almost $79,000 a year for a pension a couple um, before there is no entitlement to the pension. And for singles, it's around the $51,500 mark before that 
income test cuts them out entirely. So they can earn $79,000 before they don't get any pension at all? Don't get any pension, yeah. So, I mean, if someone came in and their assessable income was $75,000, they're certainly not eligible for those maximum rates I talked about. The pension cuts down um, once their income goes above the thresholds. But, yep, a little bit of pension entitlement would exist there. Yeah, which is, is still fairly high. You know, the average wage isn't 75000 Yeah, I mean, that, that is the couple's cut-off, but it's still yeah. it's relatively generous for, yeah. a li- for a little bit of pension. Because, that, of course, if they get that little bit of pension, they then qualify for their pension and concession cards. Yes, yes, yeah, that's right. And mm. so, so what, what is the assessed income? Of course, it's different. As we talked about earlier, you, you mentioned the income that's assessed for pension purposes, which is, which is different from um, tax purposes and it is, probably yeah. other things as well. It is, yeah. So um, assessable income for pension purposes, probably one of the big ones that people um, haven't heard of before when they approach Centrelink for the first time is what we call deeming. So deeming is an assumed rate of interest. So if a pensioner has financial assets, so savings, shares, managed funds, uh, superannuation, they we look at the total sum they have in their financial investments and we apply deemed interest rates. So those deeming rates are set by the government and it's basically just an assumed rate of interest. So their actual returns on the money aren't looked at. It's just these deemed rates that apply. Um, in addition to deeming, you know, there's, there's lots of other different sources of income out there, foreign pensions, um, superannuation pensions if they're retired, teachers, police, etc., cetera, uh, rental income. Wages are accessible, uh, and the, the wages are accessible based on the gross. And then for our age pensioners, of course, we've talked in, on previous shows about that work bonus applying. So the first $250 a, a fortnight an age pensioner earns from wages is exempt income. So that's... That's a nice little bonus there for people who work past pension age. So the two fifty can be added on to the seventy nine. The the seventy nine. Where's the seventy nine coming? Talk about the seventy nine thousand cut off before. Oh, uh, oh, okay, yes, yes. Sorry, that's an annual figure. Yeah. So the allowable income per fortnight, the three thousand and thirty six, they could in effect have. $250 each a fortnight in wages on top of that. So if they're both working, members of a couple, they can actually have another $500 a fortnight on top of that um, before there's no eligibility. Mandy, just a quick question. Tony's uh, called through and he said that he was told uh, that after 1953 you had to be 66, but you said it was uh, 65 and a half. So it is 65 and a half, not 66? <laughs> It depends in where you fall within the table. So the age brackets go from July 52 to the end of 53, 65 and a half. Anyone born from the beginning of 1954, so January 54 to June 55 is 66. And then people born between July 1955 and December 1956 are 66 and a half. So it's it's an incremental rise based on your dates of birth. But if Tony was born in the year of 1953, then his age pension age would be 65 and a half. Wonderful. Thanks. Thank you, Mandy, for clearing that up for Tony. That's all right. So I assume these tables are on the Centrelink site for anyone to have a look at? Human Services website. and just as a yeah, just a bit of a plug for ourselves. The seminars that we run, we have got a suite of seminars coming up and the one about your pension, understanding how we calculate. Uh, we've got them in April in Maitland, Raymond Terrace and Salamander Bay and one at Walls End in May and they're free and they just need to go to the Human Services website and search Financial Information Service Seminars to book into those free of charge. And you, a minor thing is you need to book because they're usually full. 
Yeah, we do like people to book in just to know, you know, seating arrangements and so on, and we generally try and have some uh, refreshments there if possible. And and so back at the uh, just one other question on the deeming rates. What's the what's the current deeming rates? So the deeming rates at the present time, the low deeming rates, 1.75%, and that's applied to the first $50,200 in total financial assets for singles and the first 83400 total financial assets for couples. And then the high deeming rate, which applies to every dollar above those thresholds, is currently 3.25%. Right. So if you get more than 3.25% on your, your income, it's not assessed for... for um, purposes of the pension and if you get less than 3.2 they assume that you've got 3.2 exactly yes okay so that's quite straightforward and so so then there's the asset test which was which was changed a few years ago and created a lot of controversy so so has that increased again in the last six months yeah, well, as a result of those pension indexations last week on the 20th of March, the cutout points have jumped up a little bit. So now for a single homeowner to be eligible for the pension, their assets must stay under. So the cutoff point is 556500 And for a homeowner um, couple, it's now $837,000, the cutout point. And then for non-homeowners, their cutout points are actually $203,000 more than our um, homeowners. So, so, so are these are these asset thresholds indexed up by the same percentage as the pension itself? No, they're increased based on the the way in which the pension is increased. So they're sort of tied in, you know. So yep. when the pension's increased, we then adjust the cutout points based on those higher rates of pension. So it's not they're not indexed themselves in the same way, but they go up as a okay. result of the pension going up. Okay. Okay. Mm. So, of course, if anyone wants any assistance on this, they can contact a financial services officer at um, Department of Human Services or book yep. into one of the free seminars. Yeah, and they just need to contact the retirements line. So it's 132300 and they can ask to speak to a financial information service officer or book into one of our free seminars. Thank you very much, Mandy Barton from Centrelink. As always, bring us up to date on those uh, new pension rates, Stephen. So very, very complex, but uh, you the, the gang at Centrelink can yeah, sort it out. The best option with Centrelink is to speak to one of the financial services officers because it can be quite complex. So. Maybe Peter can help us out. Peter, you got a question for Stephen about shares in Channel 10. Yes, I'm Steve. I'm wondering if you might be able to tell me what's actually happened to my shares because I have no idea. Um, um, I, I think the so ten went into um, administration. The administrators yeah. had um, some kind of uh, tender process, and I think the administrators probably used their power under the. Uh, Corporations Act that when a company's in administration they can cancel the outstanding shares and I think that's what happened and CBS took control of the um, company. Now I would have thought the administrator or at the very least the share register would have written to you in this so I, I, yeah they usually send uh, Yeah, I've, I've, got a, I've got a letter here from Link Market Services yeah, which register. Yeah. yeah, yeah, well, they give me my opening balance then off market transfer and closing balance zero Yeah so, so, so those shares no longer exist then, Steve? That's basically right, yes. Oh, okay, so there's... So, okay, so, yeah, I, I just wondered whether that was what had happened, that any all the shareholders of Channel 10 now don't have any shares. That's right. That's oh, okay. So all right, so it's just... A, 
Yeah, so you've got a capital loss you can claim in your tax return there, though, if that's yeah. any consolation. Uh, yeah, but probably it doesn't really matter. But, uh, yeah, all right, thanks for cleaning that up. I assumed that the shares had disappeared, but I just wanted someone who knew to tell me. Yeah, yeah. Tell you what, he took that pretty well. Ah, uh, well... Sort of. Sort of. Sort of. Better than I would have. Stephen, that's just about all we have time for this afternoon for Thursday Finance. It's time for the Easter Bunny to, to make its way to your house. Bunny. And uh, <clears throat> and you'll be back next Thursday uh, after back Easter. Thursday after Easter. Alrighty, that is Thursday Finance with Stephen Pritchard right here at 2NURFM. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com. <laughs>